right, let's pray together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather today knowing that you are present with us. It's difficult for us to sometimes understand that reality that though you are unseen, you are very much with us today. And God, today as we look over just the news of these last 24 hours, we come to you with broken hearts of the mass shootings that we've had in Texas and Ohio, God, and we say, we know this breaks your heart and it breaks our heart as well. God, we know that you are a God who can make wrong things right, but this feels really wrong to us. And so we plead with you, God, in the name of Jesus, to cease the violence that is senseless and unnecessary. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that people will see value in the other, even when they're very different than them. And God, we pray that you would help us to be people who show that love and show that value in our lives in the ways that you give us space to do that. God, we thank you that we get to be here in this public school right now. This is a privilege that Sheridan has extended this hospitality to us. We're so thankful. God, we know there's just a couple weeks left before these kids are coming back to school. God, we pray over them wherever they are right now, over their parents, their families. God, over the faculty and staff of Sheridan, God, that you would be present to them, that you would give them what they need to prepare this space to be a space of education, such an important thing in these kids' lives. And we're so thankful that we get to be here and experience your presence here now, but we ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would remain in this place and that it would make a difference for the people who come in these doors. We ask that you'd speak to us today through your word. In the powerful name of Jesus that we pray, amen. All right, so I asked you what other language you'd like to speak. Some of you already speak multiple languages. I struggled to speak English correctly, completely. Most of the time I got it okay, but a little bit of grammar struggle sometimes. So thank you for not pointing it out or texting it to me when I say something incorrect up here. But I am so in awe of people who can speak multiple languages. And I don't know about you, but I bet if you said, this is a language that you wish you could speak, I bet there's people in your life who speak that language and you wanna be able to speak their heart language to them. Or there's maybe a group of people that you wish you could communicate with. I can't tell you how many times I've wished that I could speak someone's heart language to them, to express to them a deeper sense of love than I can do when we don't share the same original heart language. Um, I remember earlier this year, my husband and I were in Uganda and there's so many languages spoken in Uganda. I bet we heard over a dozen languages spoken and there were countless times I wish that I could have spoken to somebody in their language and not through the English that they so graciously offered to me to try to help me communicate with them. So I think when we are trying to figure out how to speak another language, it's because we want to be able to connect with someone else's heart. There is one language that I do really wish that I could speak because I think it would really help me in my relationships with a lot of male citizen, male citizen people here in Mill City, and that is toddler. I really struggle to speak toddler. I have no idea what they're saying. I smile and I say, I have no idea, but you're very cute. And I don't know that that expresses the value that I want to express to them in their young lives as they're learning how to speak. But if we love people, then we want to communicate to people as well as we possibly can. If you think about it, communication and relationship are almost synonymous. When you think about communication, nonverbal, verbal actions, communication and relationship is almost the same thing. So if you love someone, you wanna communicate with them. And that's why we're having this conversation that we started last week called Everyday Ways to Talk About God. I don't know if you've noticed, maybe not all of you have been a part of a faith community regularly, but faith communities tend to form their own language to talk about some of the most important things about their faith. 
And if we're gonna take Jesus seriously and try to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, then I think we have to at least try to figure out some ways to talk about something as important as our faith in a way that doesn't have insider language. You see what I'm saying? Do you see why this is so crucial for us? If we wanna love people, we've gotta be able to talk about important things with them in a way that they can understand that doesn't make them feel like an outsider. But I actually think there's an even more uh, sense of urgency maybe for us to pay attention to around this idea of figuring out ways to talk about God. And that is that it's been a very consistent downward spiral in a lot of ways of the ability and the presence of people talking about faith, spirituality, or God in the United States. We can actually go back 100 years and see that the, the ways that people have written and spoken around concepts of faith is going down, 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 to the point where in 2017, a study was done by Barna. Some of you know this group. And this is what they found out. These are the statistics. The Barna study done in 2017 said only 7% of Americans say they talk about spiritual matters regularly. So then the question might be, what about people who are churchgoers? For people who are a part of a faith community, 13% of people say they have a spiritual conversation about once a week. 13% of people who say that, that, that faith is a big enough part of their life that they are a part of a faith community would say that once a week they have a conversation about God. So, so take a minute and just think about all the things that we communicate about. I have a lot of words in one day, so think about all the things that you talk about in a day, tweet about, text about, message about, email about, things you talk about over the water cooler, things you talk about with your roommates, things you talk about with your kids, with your partners. Think about all of those things. According to this, 13% of people say that one of those conversations in a week is about God. The research said that there's maybe different various reasons as to why this is happening. And I don't know about you, but I'm gonna say that I do resonate with some of these reasons. Let me put them on the screen. 28% of people say that they feel like conversations about spirituality and faith in God create tension or arguments. 17% feel like they're put off by how religion has been politicized. Other people say that they don't want to appear religious, 7%. They just don't want to appear religious, however they're taking that word. 6% they say they just don't want to sound weird, okay? And then 5% say they just don't want to seem extremist. So what people are saying is that they're nervous about seeming extreme, so they're only talking about God in one conversation of an entire week if they're saying that they're a person who's a part of a community. There's an author that I really love. His name's Jonathan Merritt. He's a really great writer. He wrote a book called Learning to Speak God from Scratch. I love it. And so this is a quote of his I want to put on the screen. He said, many people now avoid religious and spiritual language because they don't like the way that it's been used, misused, and abused by others. But when people stop speaking God or speaking about God, because they don't like what these words have come to mean or the way that they've been used, those who are causing the problem get to hog the microphone. In our effort to avoid contributing to the problem, we can actually worsen it. And I read that and I felt convicted about that because that is how I feel often. So I wanna suggest today that as challenging as this is, and I wanna say, I do think this is challenging. That's okay, we're here together, we're gonna talk about it. As challenging as it is, I really think that we can't deepen our faith. We can't grow in our faith. We can't share or talk about it with other people. We can't help our kids learn about that aspect of life. We can't share about that with people who we love if 
we can't grow in everyday ways to talk about God. That's why we're having this conversation. That's why it actually feels really important to me today. So today I actually want to focus specifically on everyday ways to talk about Jesus, about the person of Jesus. And along the way, you're going to notice I'm going to do, I'll give some examples of the ways I've tried to do this. And I will be the first to say it's hard and I've not always done this very well. But I'm going to try to give you some examples along the way, so look out for those. One of my favorite things to do here at Mill City is what I call seminary for everyone. Seminary is pastor school. That's where I went to learn about how to be a pastor and Pastor Michael and others on our team. And so today's sermon in a lot of ways is going to just be weaving in and out of seminary for everyone. And I want to suggest this is going to be like one of the most fun and relevant days of seminary. Professor John, this is one of the most fun and relevant days of seminary, okay, for everyone here. It's maybe a little warmer than usual, but fun and relevant. Now that I have overpromised, we're going to hope I don't underdeliver about that. But I actually want us to look in the Gospel of John. So if you brought a Bible with you, you can look in the very beginning of John. And if you have an app, you can pull that up. I love the Gospel of John. It's one of my favorite places throughout the entire Gospel or book of John written down by the Apostle John about how we can describe who Jesus is and then say, well, who is, is Jesus not then? I love it. I love how it is one of these great spots where we can see the complex and mysterious God in the flesh reality of Jesus as the person, one of the three persons of the Trinitarian God. That is an example of how not to talk about Jesus in an everyday way, is it not? One of the three persons, God in the flesh of the Trinitarian God, absolutely not. So from here on out, we're going to do this. We're going to say, how would you talk about something as complex and as infinite and important as the person of Jesus? Right away in the beginning of the book of John, uh, it starts like this. I'll put it up here on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John 1.1. Very poetic way of starting out the story. The Word is used there for the word, word. The way we translate the, way we translate the word, word in the Word is logos in Greek. And it essentially means the message of God. The Word is the message of God. That's what it means overall. But let's skip just a few verses later to John 1.14. says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John 1.14. Notice here, Word, the Word, Word, is under, has, a, has a capital W. So it is referring to Jesus when it's a capital W. The physical message of God to humans, that's who Jesus is. That's why John starts this way. That's what he's trying to say. I don't think it's in very everyday language, but that's what he's trying to say. So right off the bat, let's start with this verse, okay? Put it up here for me, John 1:14. We were going to talk to someone who's, who's very unfamiliar about who Jesus is. How would we explain this? I'm just going to do a very simple example of what I'm saying. Here's my first tip for you. There's a number of different people who have tried to translate the Bible into more everyday language. If you're around Mill City, you know one of our favorites is Eugene Peterson. And he translated the Bible into a, a, a translation that we call the message translation. And so let's look at what Eugene says and add that to our next thing. So he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. One caution is Eugene wrote this not that long ago, but it's already starting to get a little bit outdated for everyday language. No shade to Eugene, may he rest in peace. But it's already starting to get a little bit outdated. But this is pretty good but still not really everyday language. Let's take it a little bit further. Okay, God wanted to speak to us, Logos. God wanted to speak to us, so God put on flesh and came to live in the world. 
Let's take it even deeper. One more way of putting it. God wanted to speak our language, so God became a human, a human that could speak to us with both words and actions. And I think there's one final way to put it, to connect with what I just said earlier. Jesus is God's heart language to the world that God loves. Jesus is a physical walking around on this earth, heart language speaking, example message to the world that God loves. Now, if you're talking to a specific person, you might need to say it a different way, but that's pretty different than this poetic beginning of the book of John. Jesus is God's heart language to the world that God loves. And boy, did Jesus say a lot. Man, did God say so much through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as Mike said last week, one of the shortest ways and concise ways we can say the gospel or the good news about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is Lord and Savior, or leader, Lord, leader. Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our Savior. He offers salvation. He saves us from ourselves, from this world, saves the world. This is who Jesus is. And we get to know Jesus in our lives, not just know about Jesus. We can have a relationship with Jesus as our leader, as our friend. Trying to talk about this in everyday ways. Jesus made this invitation to relationship very, very clear throughout the, the, the books of the Bible that we call the Gospels. These books that are talking about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and what Jesus would hope for us as future followers. We see so much of what he said. Later on in the book of John, I want to skip to a passage that I think is one of many, but gives us a great spot for us to look today at what Jesus is saying. This is who I am. And then maybe what we can infer, Jesus is saying, this is not who I am. And so it's in John 15, 9 through 17, if you have a Bible. This part of, of the story is towards the end of the story. If you look in many Bibles, there's things that are in red letters. Those are usually the things that Jesus has said. Not all Bibles have this, but in my Bible, you can see everything that Jesus said in red. And in chapter 14 through 17 of John, there's a lot of red letters. Why does Jesus have so much to say at this time? It's because he is with his followers. He's with these people who he's spent these last at least three years with. They have gone through so much together. Probably these men and women, maybe 20, 20 people or so that are gathered together. And he has things to say to them that are on his heart because he knows he's about to go to the cross. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine that if I knew that my life was coming to an end, I would have a lot of things to say to the people that I love. And Jesus is no exception. He's got a lot of things to say. So we're pulling us a little chunk out of the things that Jesus had to say that last night, hours before some soldiers came and took him away and began his trip to the cross. So this is what is happening. So just imagine that as I'm reading this. I actually think here in the NIV version, this is pretty close to everyday language. But imagine that you're sitting there with Jesus and this is what he's trying to say to you as one of his followers who spent so much time with them. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, or stay, stay in my love. If you keep my commands, or if you do what I say, then you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He's talking about joy minutes before he goes into captivity and into the cross. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. That makes sense, right? You are my friends if you do what I command, if you listen to everything that I've said to you all these years. 
I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, the Father will give to you. This is my command, love each other. He makes sure they hear that right there at the end. So according to this passage today, I really think we could take a lot of different passages. I encourage you to read through the Gospels and say, who is Jesus saying that he is? And who is Jesus clearly saying he's not? Just in this passage alone, I have four things that I think Jesus is saying he is and he's not. That's what we're going to talk about today. I hope that that gives us some tools and ability to talk about this in everyday language with people in our lives in this everyday way we heard from Jesus. Okay, so the first thing I notice, Jesus is a being that we are in relationship with. Did you hear that in that passage? You are my friend. You are my friend. Jesus is a being that we are in relationship with. I understand how complex that might feel when he is unseen, yet that is the invitation to us. Jesus is not, then, a leader of a religion. So let me explain what I mean by that. I'm not even saying that there's anything wrong with the word religion or what religion has come to be. It's the way that humans try to make sense and organize around their understanding of a specific view of spirituality, right? Human brains organize things. That's what we do. But I want to suggest that Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you know, up there with, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, these religions they have going on down here are really lame. Let's go down and start a new one. Like, I really don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think that what God's trying to do is say, I have things to say to these people that I love. And so I want to show them that I actually want to know them and be in relationship with them. And that will make more sense to them if I come to be with them physically as a human. We need to see as deep as we possibly can that we don't just know about Jesus, but we get to actually know Jesus. Jesus is much more interested in our relationship than religion. Does that make sense? Nod your head if you get what I'm saying. Now, this is important because I think that could seem obvious. Some of you are like, yeah, relationship, not religion. I get that. But I, I, I fear that it's maybe not that obvious to us because uh, our history shows that we struggle with this actually. We struggle with seeing the difference between the religion and the relationship. Ramon Pastrano was talking to me the other day about uh, a man named Stanley Jones. Some of you maybe have read about him. He was a missionary in the turn of the century. And Stanley Jones was a missionary specifically to India. And in 1925, he wrote about some of his story in a book called The Christ of the Indian Road. And in this book, he very, in my opinion, helpfully called out how he and other American and European missionaries had been sharing a cultural Christianity instead of inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. Some of you know and have read about how damaging that part of our history has been substituting Western culture as what people are converting to instead of inviting people into an actual relationship with Jesus, who, for the record, was not Western or white or American or European. They weren't, here's a seminary word for you, they weren't contextualizing the gospel. They weren't making the gospel fit the context. They weren't contextualizing who Jesus is and the good news about Jesus. They were not learning everyday ways to talk about Jesus for that specific group of people. And so what I love about Jones is that he said, you know what? Listening and learning might be a better place to start. 
How about that? Listening and learning to other people and trying to understand who they are. And so Jones asked a lot of questions, specifically of some of the Hindu people in that part of India. Why, he said, why did you not receive this good news about Jesus when the missionaries came? And over and over and over, they said something that he summarized this way. The Hindu people said, Christian missionaries have held up a Christ completely covered up by their Christianity. Christian missionaries have held up a Christ completely covered up by their Christianity. And I think that question travels from 1925 right to today and begs the question, are we hiding Jesus behind our Christianity? Behind our talk about church, maybe. And this is an easy one for me. I think sometimes we find it easier or maybe a little bit safer to talk about church if we even feel like we can talk about that. Totally get it. Totally understand how that can feel nerve-wracking. Just yesterday I was with some people and I found myself talking about church. I love you guys, but why was I talking about church instead of Jesus? That wasn't even what they asked me about. And I think if we do talk about Jesus, have you noticed, I've noticed sometimes I talk about Jesus like a his, more like a historical figure than like a relationship that I actually have, where I'm kind of like, you know, back in history, the Queen of Sheba and, you know, Napoleon and Julius Caesar and Jesus. I have been playing kickball, you guys, me and my husband have been playing kickball with some folks from 56 Brewery the last two summers. 56 Brewery kickball team is terrible. We lost all of our games but one, and I think it's because we snuck someone onto our team. But what I love about playing kickball, I did also get hit in the face very directly. My glasses went flying, I'm fine. But what I love about kickball has nothing to do with the, the pretend acts of athleticism, and has so much more to do with the amazing relationships we've built with these people. Very few who are people of faith or Christians at all. And so I've gotten to know these folks and it's been so fun and a little bit scary sometimes to talk to them and to try to be honest about who I am with them. And I got into this conversation. Here's an example of a scary conversation, okay, that I got in with one of these guys. He says to me, so, because we're on a Facebook group for the 56 team, okay? So he says to me, so, I hate everything that Christians post on Facebook. He just says that to me. And part of me in the inside is like, me too, most of the time, actually. But before he could say that, I could say that to him, he just said, but I don't hate what you post on Facebook and you're a Christian, right? And I was like, yes. <laughs> this conversation hopefully is going to go a little differently, and it did. And so we had this conversation, and of course I'm thinking about how important it is for all of us to think about things before we hit send on our Facebook feeds. But I'm also thinking about the fact that this is a human being that God loves, and I've gotten to know him, and I don't want to be fake about who I am with him. But I started by asking him a lot of questions. They were really interesting. He said that he was spiritual but not religious, something I've heard many times. And I said, well, what does that mean to you? And he went on to talk about a number of things. And at some point, one of the questions I asked him was, so what do you do with Jesus? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, if Jesus really was who Jesus said that he was, then what are you going to do about that? And we actually got into this awesome conversation. And the way that the conversation ended was me saying, well, here's what I do with Jesus, and I don't know for sure what that means for you, but it's interesting, if you are spiritual, that might be a question that you should ask. And he was like, yeah. Conversation to be continued, right? Look at what Jesus says then next, I think, about who he is. It was so good for me to stop at the end of that with just sharing who is Jesus to me. That's the most authentic thing I can do. Here's who Jesus says that he is to us. A friend. Other places he says a brother. 
family. And then I think pretty clearly in this passage, he's saying that he's a leader, isn't he? He's saying a leader, do what I say. I said these things to you, they're important, do what I say. But notice he's not a distant ruler. A distant ruler would say, you need to do what I say or else. And it's not about relationship at all. And what we need to know is that if, the, if people were reading this in the first century, when, it, when these words were first spoken to other people and read to other people from John, the idea that the God of the universe wants to be friends with humans would have been mind-blowing because every other view of the ancient Near Eastern gods could not be further from the idea of God wanting to be in loving friendship relationship with humans. This was a big deal. This is the leader in our life that we currently have today through the Holy Spirit. Is that a mystical thing? Totally. It's totally mystical how we have a leader in our lives that we don't see. But you guys, I've also noticed, you know who's the weirdest about spiritual things and mystical things? Christians. The rest of the people I often talk to are not that weirded out, as lots of us are, to talk about mystical realities. So if Jesus is our leader currently, and not just a historical role model, then here's my suggestion today. And this is not necessarily calling out anyone besides myself. I think we might have gotten it wrong with those little bracelets, okay? Because the bracelets, what did they say? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Not a bad question, but do you see how that's kind of talking about Jesus like he was in the past? Maybe the bracelets were supposed to say, what is Jesus doing? And how might I join into that? You've been around Mill City, you hear us say this a lot. What is God doing? What is the Spirit doing? What is Jesus doing? Because we want to be a part of that. So I'm not suggesting we go get new bracelets, but I do think it's something worth thinking about. I do think Jesus wants us to live into his words and to follow his example, but it's so clear here, isn't it, that he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be friends with us. And we can follow his leadership, not just to earn his love, but because of his love. A couple days ago, I got to officiate Kiefer and Rachel's wedding. Kiefer's on our worship team. It was so fun. And they wrote their own vows. It was so cute. They pulled out these long sheets of paper and they read all these vows to each other. They were so deep and meaningful and, and bold. And they're barely going to be able to do any of these things consistently. Okay? Because they were just big things. But you know what I know about Kiefer and Rachel? They are going to do everything they can to try, aren't they? Why are they going to try to do everything that they vowed? because they love each other. And that's the same invitation that Jesus is saying to us. If you love me, then you'll try to do these things that we talked about, <laughs> just like happened at the wedding the other night. I got, I've gotten into this uh, interesting relationship with my tattoo artist. And so I've clearly, uh, if you've seen me up close, I've spent a lot of time with my tattoo artist. Her name is Heather. And there's something that I noticed about my relationship with Heather that was really interesting. I mean, I shared about who I was with, my, with her up, from the, up front and tried to just be really honest and real with her. And uh, she said something really interesting to me. I've shared this with a couple of you. She said that she had this, this counselor, this therapist, and I was sharing about my counselor. So she said, I had a counselor recently, but I had to stop going to this counselor because I didn't trust him. And I said, well, why didn't you trust him? And she said, well, after six months, he got new business cards. And then on the corner of his desk, he put these new business cards with his name on it, and he had a Jesus fish on it. And I'm going, oh boy, <laughs> you know? She's like, what? like a, why is there a Jesus fish on his business card? And I said, well, I imagine it's because he's a Christian. And she said, listen, I'm not upset that he's a Christian. What I'm upset about is that that seemed like a sneaky thing that he didn't tell me right away. 
And I don't know if I can trust somebody. If he thinks that's so important that he's going to put it on his business card, then how can I trust him that it's something important enough that it would be a part of who he is? He, then she said to me, she's like, can you tell your people to stop it with the sneaky Jesus fish? And I was like, you know, I can. You know, and this isn't a statement about if you put it on your car or not. I don't put it on my car because of my lead foot. But besides that, it's not really about the, the igthus or the Jesus fish, right? It's about, are you saying who you are? Are you being real with people? If I was friends with you for six months and never said either way, but just said after six months, by the way, I'm married, wouldn't you think that's kind of weird that I didn't tell you that until then? You'd be like, man, this person doesn't really want me to know her, I think. And I think that's what Heather was trying to say. The next thing I see Jesus saying here is this. He says, ask in my name and I will give you whatever you ask in the name of Jesus. The Father is going to give this to you. I think what Jesus is doing here is inviting us to use his name to have kingdom authority. Talk about the kingdom of God. What I don't think Jesus is doing is inviting us to use his name to elevate empires of this world or little kingdoms, I sometimes call them, you've heard me say that, to elevate little kingdoms over each other. Do you see the difference there? Jesus is saying that you're invited to use his name, obviously in prayer, to say, we want to see kingdom things unlocked in the world. Once again, mystical thing, but I have seen it happen where people pray in the name of Jesus and there's power and there's authority. And we know that we're noticing the kingdom of God. Jesus says it's in our midst. How do you know it's in your midst? Whenever you see a wrong thing being made right, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom is, of God is seen when those who are in need are provided for. When people who are, are set free from guilt and shame and don't let their past define them anymore, that's the kingdom of God. When people who are oppressed are set free and given rights and abilities to live as free people. When the people in the world who need healing are healed. When people who don't have what they need have their needs provided for. When people who need love are loved unconditionally. When people who are lonely and feel like they are, are marginalized are welcomed into a family. Whenever these things are happening, that's the sign that the kingdom of King Jesus has come near. But the kingdom of God is not geographical. The kingdom of God does not have borders. It's not bound by culture. It's not led by human leaders. Those, my friends, are empires. Those are empires. Little kingdoms. That's not the kingdom of God. Can the empires and the little kingdoms do good things? Sure. But let's not get it confused. And when those little kingdoms or those empires claim that they have more access to the name of Jesus and its power over the access of the name of Jesus and its power to other kingdoms, I think Jesus might want his name back. He might be saying, cease and desist, actually, because I am a king of the kingdom of God. Jesus' name and its authority is only powerful in the kingdom of God not in any of the other kingdoms as it were in that way. Otherwise, I would suggest that it's a name being taken in vain. But the kingdom of God knows no borders and is a part of every one of those little kingdoms, is it not? I've been leading some groups lately where not everyone's a Christian and I've said to the group, you know, I, I wanna pray and I've just tried to explain to them why I would pray in the name of Jesus. 
I would say, hey, we come from different spiritual backgrounds here, but I'm gonna pray in the name of Jesus. You're gonna hear me do that because I don't actually think I have any power or authority as a human being, but my relationship with Jesus means that some of the things I say could happen because Jesus is gonna do it. And so far, no one's looked at me weird. And then I've just been able to say at the end, I just don't want anyone to feel like an outsider, like they don't understand why I'm doing that. Okay, one thing, last thing. Jesus is, in this passage, inviting us to love with an overflow of his love's love in our lives and to tell other people about him. Jesus is inviting us to love, not with our own little tiny human heart love, but with God's love overflowing out of our life into the lives of the people around us. And I don't think Jesus, Jesus is not inviting us to protect his name and make everybody agree with us. I don't think that's what it seems like he's saying here in verse 17. This is my command, love each other. Not convince each other, force each other, love each other. And let me tell you this, if we truly try to love each other with our own human love, we are going to run out. But Jesus is clearly saying here earlier in those verses, I have loved you. And because I have loved you, you can receive that love. It will overflow in your life to the people around you. And I think it's important that we try to figure out how to say that that's why we're loving people. That's why our mission at Mill City is not loving our community in the name of love, loving our community in the name of us, in the name of Mill City, loving our community in the name of Jesus, because it's in his name that we have power, it's in his name that we have enough love to give. I don't know about you, but I will run out by lunch if I don't take that daily choice to receive God's love. I'll run out of love for myself and for other people. And if I run out of love for myself, then loving my neighbor as myself is not very much love. It's not easy to choose love in the world that we live in right now because the default setting is fear. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. And I do, I want you to think about maybe one person who you know in your life. You have a relationship with them and so it would be real and authentic to talk about the relationship you have with Jesus with them. I don't know exactly how you're gonna do that in everyday ways because it's contextualized to that person. But I believe that you can do it. I also believe you might be a little scared because I am sometimes, but I believe that love is a deeper motivator than fear. It's gotta be, right? Can we at least agree with that? Love is a deeper motivator than fear? Yes. So let's try it. But here's the other thing, you guys. If that relationship you have with God through Jesus, if you feel like Jesus is more of an old friend than a current friend, if you feel like you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then this whole loving people with Jesus love thing isn't gonna work that way. So I'm just being honest with you. It starts with that relationship. So today, as we celebrate communion, we're remembering Jesus in our lives. And there's gonna be people on these walls that would love to pray for you. And maybe today, for you, the thing that would take courage is to come to one of those people and just say, you know, Jesus feels like a really distant friend right now. Jesus doesn't feel like a friend right now. I want to be in a deeper relationship with Jesus. I want to try to figure out this relationship with Jesus thing for the first time. Because if you can have the courage to say that, man, that's a beginning of a whole new reality of being able to talk about God and about Jesus in your everyday life. Jesus invited these followers to this meal, this remembrance meal, just a few minutes after he spoke these words. He said, my command is that you would love one another and I want you to remember me. Remember my body that was given to you when you eat this bread. Remember my, my blood that was shed for you when you drink this cup. They didn't understand it they didn't know it hadn't happened yet but here we are now saying we want to remember we want to know you 
Help our unbelief. Help us know you. So if you're seeking Jesus in your life, if you're following Jesus in your life, you don't have to be a member to participate in communion here. The bread is gluten-free so everyone can participate. You just take it, you dip it into the juice. And once again, please let someone pray for you if you're willing. So as this song is being played, come when you feel ready to this table that is open to anyone trying to seek after the person of Jesus, God's message and heart language to the world.